we're probably going to go a little shorter than usual. If you notice, we're spending a little bit more time in the book of Psalms, not just because there's 150 chapters, because some of these chapters are actually fairly short, but I just love to just sit in it and to steep in it. And so um, we're going to just journey. We're going to journey um, through the book of Psalms and we're going to we're going to do it on in our own pace. You know, we're, we're going to we're going to go by the pace of grace. Yes, we're going to go by the pace of grace. We're not rushing through the Bible, um, but it's gonna, it's nice to, to you know, take a little stroll through certain books. And this is a book where you got to take a stroll in it. You have to. And the reason why is because Psalms is, there's so many things connected to the book of Psalms. There's so much history connected to it. Um, there, there's so much, there, there's so many theological implications to the book of Psalms. Psalms is... I mean, Psalms ties so many things together. And so a book like Psalms is one where you kind of have to go, okay, let me just let me just ease into this because it is applied theology. That's what the book of Psalms is. The book of Psalms is applied theology. Um and so uh, I, you know, it's something that I I'm, you know, I'm I like to read through the book of Psalms and take my time. And I like to read through it over and over and over again. One of my rhythms, just to kind of throw this out for you guys, one of the, my rhythms, maybe it was two years ago, two or three years ago, is yes, I would read through the Bible and spend, you know, a good 20, 30 minutes reading every day, which is what we're going to do and which is what we've been doing. And you guys have been journeying with us in that. But the other thing I used to do is, is I used to actually read five Psalms a day because again, there's on average 30 days in a week. So I'd read five Psalms a day in the morning and just pray through them. Um, and so I used to read based on the number of the day. So for example, if it's January the 5th, I would read Psalms five and then I would add 30 to that. And then I would add 30 to that. And then I would add 30 to that. So I would read Psalms five, then I'd read Psalms 35, then I'd read Psalms 65, and then I'd read Psalms 95, and then I'd read Psalms 125. And then, you know, if it's the 17th, like today's the 18th. So I would have I didn't read Psalms 18, 48, and 78, and 108, and 138, but that's what I would have done. I would have read those five Psalms. And I made that a regular habit of mine um, because I believe the Psalms really attends to the heart. Um, the Psalms is very formative. And so I'm going to take my time as we read through this. And I hope you guys can um, take your time through this with me as well. Um, we'll probably move through some other stuff a little bit faster, but either way, I'm not, we're not, we're, this is not a race. We're just going to journey through the scriptures. And so you guys have been journeying with me. We've read through the entire new Testament. Now we're reading through the old Testament and we find ourselves in the book of Psalms. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to read through it and we're going to ask three questions. The three questions that we're going to ask is God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? The second one is God. What are you revealing concerning me? And the third one is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? I don't usually do this when when I'm getting into my reading, but I do want to make one quick point. Um, James uh, says that the Bible is the best fable ever written, and it's good, and and it's good for people to think. And I think he's asking, and is it good for people to think that they will be punished for being bad? Um. Obviously, people lied to you because that's not what the Bible is about. Um, the Bible is not about people being bad, being punished. So um, that's what happens when you don't read all of it. 
So what happens when you don't read what it actually says? Um, and you simply take what somebody told you about what it said. And then from there, you've made your own determination from that. And that's why we're here. That's why we do this read and rant. That's why we spend time um, in it, because I believe the most powerful thing you can do for a person is just read it with them and not simply just teach, you know, a s little slivers and portions of the Bible, but to actually read the whole thing. I, I don't think you have. And maybe I, I can't see how you got that conclusion from what you read. Um, and so that's why we're here. That's why we're here. And that's why we're reading. So we're going to be reading from Psalm 67 today. And these are the three questions we're asking is, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning people? And God, what are you revealing concerning me? That's what we're going to meditate on today. Father, I ask that you would just speak to us, Lord, that you would reveal your grace, your goodness, your wisdom, your insight, your will, your heart, and all that we do. But bless us in this time as we engage in your word. Lord, allow us, Lord, not to simply attune our thoughts to your word, but Lord, that your words would shape our thoughts, that we would understand your heart and your will, and that we would learn to be submissive to it, to submit to it. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get to it. Psalm 67, and it says this, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you shall be, sorry, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on the earth. Let your people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. And all the ends of the earth shall fear him. 68. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. By his name, Yah. And rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows. Is God in his holy habitation? God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth shook. The heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. You, O oh God, sent a plentiful rain whereby you confirmed your inheritance when it was weary. Your congregation dwelt in it. You, O oh God, provided from your goodness for the poor. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those who proclaimed it. King of armies flee. 
faithfully. And she who remains at home divides the spoil. Though you lie down among the sheepfolds, you will be like the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with a yellow gold. When the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was white as snow in Zalman. A mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan, or Bashan, sorry, sometimes pronounced Bashan. <laughs> A mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. Why do you fume with envy, you mountains of many peaks? This is the mountain which God desires to dwell in. Yes, the Lord will dwell in it forever. The chariots of God are 20,000 even thousands of thousands. The Lord is among them as in Sinai, as in the holy place. You have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. You have received gifts among men, even from the rebellion, that the Lord might dwell there. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. Our God is the God of salvation. And to God, the Lord belongs escape from death. But God will wound the head of his enemies, the hairy scalp of the one who still goes on in his trespasses. The Lord said, I will bring back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea that your foot may crush them in blood. And the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from your enemies. You have seen your pr procession, O God the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. Hmm. The singers went before. The players on instruments followed after. Among them were the maidens playing timbrels. Bless God in the congregations. The Lord from the fountain of Israel. There's a little Benjamin, their leader, the princess of Judah and their company, the princesses of Zebulun and the princes of Naphtali. Your God has commanded your strength. Strengthen, O God, what you have done for us. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring presents to you. Rebuke the beasts of the reeds, the herd of bulls, with the calves of the people, till everyone submits himself with pieces of silver. Scatter the people who delight in war. Envoys will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. Sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. Oh, sing praises to the Lord, to him who rides on the heaven of heavens, which were of old. Indeed, he sends out his voice, a mighty voice, ascribe strength to God. His excellence is over Israel and his strength is in the clouds. Oh God, you are more awesome than your holy places. Hmm. The God of Israel is he who gives strength and power to his people. Blessed be God. Hmm. Psalm 69. Save me, O God, from the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who wait, sorry, those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me. 
being my enemies wrongfully, though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. O God, you know my foolishness, and my sins are not hidden from you. Let not those who wait for you, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you be confounded because of me, O God of Israel, because of your sake I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children, because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. I also made sackcloth my garment. I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate speak against me, and I am the song of the drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is to you. <laughs> o Lord, in the acceptable time, O God, in the multitude of your mercy, hear me in the truth of your salvation. Deliver me out of the mire. Do not let me sink. Let me be delivered from those who hate me and out of deep waters. Let not the flood water overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up. And let not the spit, sorry, let not the pit shut its mouth on me. Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. And do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw near to my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. You know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gall for my food. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Hmm. Let their table become a snare before them. And let their well-being, sorry, let their well-being a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see. And let their loins shake continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their dwelling place be desolate. Let no one live in their tents, for they persecuted the ones you have struck. And talk of the grief of those you have wounded. Add iniquity to their iniquity, and let them not come into your righteousness. Hmm. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and not be written with the righteous. But I am poor and sorrowful. Let your salvation, O God, set me up on high. I will praise him with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall, be, shall please the Lord better than an ox or bull, which has horns and hooves. The humble shall see this and be glad. And you who seek God, your hearts shall live. For the Lord hears the poor and does not despise his prisoners. Hmm. Let heavens, let, sorry, let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion. 
for this for, and built the cities of Judah that they may dwell there and possess it. Also, the descendants of his servants shall inherit it. And those, sorry, let me read that last part. And those who love his name shall dwell in it. Those who love his name shall dwell in it. I'm going to read one more chapter, chapter 70, and then I'm going to share a few thoughts with you. Verse one, make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and confounded who seek my life. Let them be turned back and confused who desire my hurt. Let them be turned back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And let those who love your salvation say continually, let God be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Make haste to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. O Lord, do not delay. So much to speak about, as I've said before, and there's so much to unpack here. Obviously, I'm not given, I'm not afforded that kind of time to sit and to break down the text, but, you know, this is not really uh, the purpose for why we are here in the first place, right? We're, we're not here to to engage in a Bible study, because if we did, we'd be stuck on one chapter and we'd spend the entire morning just working through um, one chapter of the book. So. That's not what we're we're here to do, right? Um, but there's so much insight and, and and so much perspective, right? That you can establish simply with what you um, what you observe here in the text that you're reading. Okay, um, I guess I can. I'm still stuck on um, what a good friend of ours had posted earlier about what the Bible is and what it's for and what it's written about and whether or not it's to uh, punish <laughs> um, uh, people who are bad and somehow reward people who are good. And so, of course, we see here that there are those who are being punished and there are those who are being covered. And so, you know, that you can read that and go, oh, there it is, see? Right? There it is, see? Um, there's what he was talking about. I, you know, I find it interesting. Um, and I, and I, and I want to say this, I want to preface all this by saying I, there's nothing I enjoy more than having people who have negative perspectives of the word and of the scripture come and join us and to be a part of what we're doing. Nothing, nothing brings me more joy. Like I, I am profoundly, um, grateful for those of you who come who are like, man, the Bible, you know, there are different things they say about the Bible. They'll say, well, the Bible is a fairy tale, or they'll say that the Bible, I think I saw someone who posted that the Bible um, is a book written in the Bronze Age. And it's funny how we're still reading the Bible today as if it has some kind of relevance. Um, or, you know, people will say, well, the Bible is um, a book written by men who you guys ascribe to some sky fairy, right? That the, the, you've heard that before. Some sky fairy who is above you and tells you what to do and all that good stuff. I love all of that. 
I love when people come and they come and they join us and they spend time reading with us because I, I believe that there's an opportunity. I really do. I believe there's an opportunity to finally give an honest perspective of it. And Mike, you just took it right out of my hands. <laughs> you just took it right out of my hands. I find it interesting how people will say, why do you read this Bible, this old book that doesn't even apply to us today? Why do you read that? It doesn't even matter anymore. It's just funny how people will be diminished for reading scripture as if we don't read books that are antiquated, often as antiquated as the Bible, and yet we find wisdom in it. Hmm. Like the Odyssey, an old book written by an author in an ancient time, in a time not like ours, in a cultural context not like ours, and yet we still read it today like it's gospel because of all the wisdom insight that we get from it. But the Bible, no. I think it's because of what the Bible points to. That's right. A fool says in his heart that there is no God. And I think that's really what frustrates people. But I'll take it one step further because I'm realizing that what we do here actually um, attracts a certain kind of person who has uh, a certain type of experience when it comes to the Bible. Those who read the Bible, they never really read it in a vacuum. And here's what I mean by that. Or they have never read it in a vacuum, meaning they've always read the Bible within the context of an experience, be it a church, be it whatever. That's right. They call it classical literature, classical. Li and, we, and, and we read it and we esteem that literature highly. Oh, but the Bible? No, no, no. That's a fairy tale. As if the Odyssey isn't. <laughs> or, or we read other, other, other books that we call classical literature. <laughs> oh, but the Bible? No, no, no. Let's not read that. Is it possible that the issue is not the literature? Is it possible that the issue is what the literature points to? I'll submit this. Going back to what my first brother said, and I'm only saying this because I believe it really applies to how we ought to be reading through the book of Psalms and why we're, we're kind of taking our time through the book of Psalms. It's because there's so much history behind every one of these Psalms. There's so much context. Each one of these authors are going through a certain experience. And that experience then informs this creative poetic rendition. Yes, David is one of the primary authors of the book of Psalms, but David is not the only author. Whoever told you that, they got that wrong. David is not the only author. Some of these books, some of these chapters are written by people who we, we don't know. We know that they, we know their experience, but we don't know them. I think it speaks also into how profoundly important that we shouldn't be just reading the author, but we should be reading the perspective of the author. Because it's not about the actual author who's speaking, but rather about how the author sees God in the midst of the experience. This whole thing 
about the Bible is written to give purpose or to give reason to condemn people who are bad. Or to people who are evil. And I say to him, maybe, maybe, that's right, woken up, I like that. The Bible is only, the Bible is actually a younger book than some other books that they've ascribed to, but we're not going to talk about that. That's another conversation for another day. Um, There are books that are considered older than the Bible, and yet we read them today as classical literature. Side note, I don't want to get into that rant. That's not what I'm here for. I'm not here to get into an apologetic debate. However, I do want to speak into this. When we read, and I've been talking to this with my Patreon community. I've been having this conversation with, you know, those of you who've been in Bible study with me on Patreon, okay? And who've engaged in Bible study. When we read, we do the text a disservice in ourselves a disservice when we read the scripture directly from our experience, ignoring our experience in our context, ignoring the context of the author who writes it to the people that the author is writing it to for the people that the author is writing it to. We've talked about that, how we get lost in the sauce of reading scripture when we insert ourselves prematurely in the text. And I'm only saying this because this is so important because we read the book of Psalms and sometimes we get lost in the sauce, even in the book of Psalms. Um, We get lost in the sauce when we're reading through different texts, when we read through the 10 commandments, we read through these things, we get lost in the sauce because we are inserting our cultural context into the text, misinterpreting it. And then coming up with our own conclusions based off of a misinterpretation of the text. That is the problem that I see in Western Christianity today and cultural Christianity today. And I say this, and I say this with utmost importance. If you don't understand the context and you don't understand the author and the writer that the author is writing it to, if you don't understand that, this is when you back up and you ask simply for the Lord to speak to you what you need to hear today. I'm I'm here to save somebody's soul today, especially when they read it. When you read this text, if you are reading it, and you don't understand the context and you don't understand the background and you don't understand the history and you don't understand the broad picture behind it, you will go down a theological rabbit trail. And then you start interpreting it from your context. And all of a sudden you've come up with your own conclusions. This is why there are people who believe that to be Republican is to be Christian and to be Christian is to be Republican because they inserted their cultural context into the text. This is, this is what happens when you insert your politics, your context, your pride, your heart into the text, not allowing the text to shape your heart. That's how then the scriptures is used oppressively 
That's how the scripture is used to manipulate, to oppress. The Bible doesn't condone slavery, but if you insert your heart in it, you'll find how you can make the text work for you to propagate your own agenda. Actually, a lot of movements, a lot of anti-biblical movements or anti-Christian movements that have come, um, particularly speaking, in the black community in America. I know I have people all around the world who are watching right now. But if I would speak into the black community in America, really comes out of the manipulation that came through Scripture. Because Scripture was manipulated to propagate an agenda, to propagate an ideology, because the scripture was manipulated, now what they say is they say the problem is the scripture. No, the problem is not the scripture. The problem is your heart. The problem is not the scripture. The problem is you. <laughs> the problem is not the scripture. The problem is racism. The problem is not the scripture. The problem is perpetual sin. That is the problem. Because the Bible does not condone slavery. Those who have the sin of slavery in their heart use the Bible as a means to condone it. When you ask what book I see, the what, what book in the Bible is taken out of context? I've seen almost every book in the Bible taken out of context. Even the Psalms. I've seen almost every book in the Bible taken out of context. And some of it is not because it was out of sin. Some of it is because we have never really sought to hear from God in the text. There are people today who still believe that somehow Christianity is a Eurocentric movement. I'm ranting today. I'm all over the place. Stay with me. But I need to I need to engage in this for a minute. There are people who still think today that Christianity is a Eurocentric movement. That somehow it was a European movement. Somehow propagated by the Roman expansion and the Roman Empire. As if Christianity didn't exist way long ago. Long before the expansion of Christianity through the Roman Empire came the expansion of Christianity in Africa. Christianity started off in East Asia, sorry, in West Asia, in, in the Mediterranean regions, in Asia Minor, and in Turkey. The scriptures tell us this. We see it all through the Bible as we've been reading it. The expansion of the church in Northern Africa. It was Middle Eastern and African. And it grew and it grew because it had power. It grew and it grew because there were power. There was power in it. Exactly right, Mike. We're reading about M Mount Bashan and we're reading about these Mediterranean regions and these mountains and Sinai. And, and look, look at, look at, sorry, I'm, I just feel like I'm, I'm just going to, let, let me just rant. Today's, I'm just ranting. In Psalm 68, if you look at verse 31, it says, envoys come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. This is prophetic. 
about what is happening here. Anybody who sits there and says, nah, they think it came from Utah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh my gosh, I'm putting this on the podcast. This is crazy. Um, yeah, I <laughs> think it came from you. But 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 again, this speaks into what happens when we culturalize Christianity. When it becomes cultural, we miss. We miss it. We miss it. And then we read this and we miss the text. We just, we just miss it entirely as if the Christian movement didn't exist in Africa for, for, for three centuries before the Holy Roman Catholic church, almost three centuries before the Holy Roman Catholic church. So. Why am I bringing all this up and why is all this important? And why am I bringing you into this conversation? I'm bringing you into this conversation because we have to first back up for a moment. And I think I need to take a quick little pause here before I share whatever thought I have, because I'm, I'm not afforded as much time today. So I'm going to try to get to this as soon as I can. But I think this is important, even as we're reading through the text and meditating through the text is when you are reading text, if you're not reading the text through the lens of the author who wrote it to the people that he was writing it to for the purpose by which he is writing it, then you will miss the message. And I say this to everyone here, don't miss the message because then the message, when it's understood in their context, when it's understood in the way they ought that they understood it, when we understand it through their lens, then we see how it applies to us and why it matters to us. And if you don't know it, I'm just cha I'm challenging everybody here who's on here right now. If you don't know it and you don't understand it, then back up for a moment and say, Lord, just reveal to me your heart. Don't, don't start digging into Bible study and don't start digging into breaking down verses and words and, and all of that, because what you're going to do is you're going to fall down a rabbit trail and you're going to find yourself somehow propagating even the sin in your heart through the text. The word there is called eisegesis, and many of us have done it, where we insert our ideas into the text rather drawing out what the text is actually saying. So why is this important? I'm going to break down this, 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 this part, because I think this is important as we get to, what is it? We're in the, almost in the halfway mark of this book. If you, if you, Read if you've been with us through the read and rant. If you haven't, um, you know, I encourage you to do it. Just go back, just read. And if you haven't and you just want to just read through the just read through the text. Oh, one last thing I want to say before I get into what I what I need to say, and I almost forgot, is when you insert yourself or your culture or your ideology or all of that into the text. This is what my brother Woken is talking about that a lot of us do.
because we insert ourselves into the text. We don't get to know what it means in that context. And because we don't know what it means in that context, thank you, Vanessa, then we miss what it's actually saying. We call that a filter. And we all, if we haven't really read it through the lens of the person who wrote it to the person that they're writing it to for the people that they're writing it to, we have a lens and we have a filter. And many of us don't even see that we filter because you don't know that you're filtering text. You don't know that you're filtering text until somebody exposes that you're filtering text. People who filter scripture are actually extracting things out of the scripture without even knowing they're doing it. They're ignoring things in the scripture without even knowing that they're doing it. They're pulling things out of the scripture because the things that we naturally will pull out are the things that don't align with our way of life, our way of thinking. We'll just, we're just kind of just, uh, let me just, just pull that out. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you how that happens. And so we just kind of extract, 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 extract. Next thing you know, we've got a whole theology that is built off of just our own cultural context and our own cultural way of thinking. And we establish a theology that's so strong that people in America somehow think that Christianity somehow started in America <laughs> or started in Europe. I had a brother who I spoke to who actually believed that Christianity didn't become Christianity until the Protestant Reformation. So it wasn't Christianity when Peter was preaching in Acts? It wasn't, it wasn't Christianity when, when, when Peter and John stood outside the gate and healed that man who was lame at the gate? It wasn't Christianity then, was it? It, it wasn't it wasn't Christianity when when Paul was was preaching and ministering to the church in Ephesus and in Corinth and in Philippi. It wasn't Christianity. It sure enough wasn't Christianity when Timothy was ministering and Timothy was leading, or the elect lady that the apostle John was writing to. It wasn't Christianity then, was it? And so some believe that it somehow it started with the ninety five theses. It started with Martin Luther nailing the 95 theses on the, on the door. And all of a sudden, <gasps> Protestant Reformation, Christianity has come alive. I've had people who believe that. Somehow Christianity started in Germany or started in Rome, in Italy. There are people who celebrate that. And then, oh man, now I'm ranting. I, I'm not going to have the time today. I'm sorry, y'all. We're going to do more work tomorrow. We're going to work this out tomorrow because I, I got to leave a little earlier today. But uh, just let me rant. Just let me rant. Just let me rant. And then we have this, this presentation of Christianity that makes what's happening in the Middle East somehow anti-Christian or other than so we go to Jerusalem and Jerusalem is kind of like the shrine that we look at. And we're kind of like, oh, wow, look at these nice, beautiful Middle Eastern people. And look at the things that they do. Ooh, look at the little Shema that they put on their heads and they pray 
on the wall. Oh, isn't that so cute? Oh, look at the temple. Look at that temple that they're going to. They're going to pray. Oh, look at that. That's so cute. We Christians know better. <laughs> As if Jesus wasn't there. As if Jesus wasn't there. As if Jesus didn't die there. As if the church wasn't birthed there. <laughs> the church was born there. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and so we have this backward way of thinking. We don't read this history of the expansion of the church in Ethiopia. It's like we miss. We miss. This is the filter we're talking about. We miss that Philip, a Mediterranean man, baptized an Ethiopian magistrate and sent him to Ethiopia to expand the church in Ethiopia. As if, like, there was no church in Ethiopia when Ethiopia is one of the first places that Christianity expanded. Is he, is anybody, is anybody hearing me there? Because uh, I want to make sure y'all, y'all, y'all hear what I'm saying. Or we miss out on the fact that when we speak about the, the church fathers in the Bible, when the Bible talks about the church fathers, the five church fathers, two of them are African. But we miss that. We just, because we have a filter. We actually, our starting point for Christianity is kind of somewhere. And so here's what happens. Because I'm, I'm not here to racialize Christianity. I want to make sure everybody understands that. I'm not here to say that Christianity was a black religion or a brown religion or it's for black people or it's for brown people and that Christianity is not for white people. On the contrary, if you read the book of Revelation with me, you would know that the end will be when the church has been fully birthed and fully manifest, when Christ will establish his kingdom on earth, where people of every nation, every tribe, every creed, every so all races and all nations will come together and we will all come with a multiplicity of gifts and multiplicity of expressions and and multiplicity of 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 contexts and 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 histories and and stories and and legacies and we're all going to come together to form this beautiful tapestry that we call the church no the church is not southern baptist no Whew. sorry y'all i'm going to get to my point I hope the church is not Southern Baptist. Y'all the church is not Presbyterian. The church is not assemblies of God. The church is not church of God in Christ. The church is not a denomination. That's right. The church is the body of Christ. The church is not only in America. Ah, the church is expanding all over the world. And these churches that are expanding all over the world are not Baptists, Presbyterian. They're just people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, moving in the power of God and preaching the power of the gospel 
and people are being delivered, set free. Ah, the church is the body. It's the body of Christ. And the demonstration of the church is not based off of, it's going to sound very uncomfortable for some people, but the church is not a set of creeds and theological distinctives. Oh, this is going to sound real crazy, y'all. The church is just the people who have encountered Jesus and been filled by, by his spirit and now move in his power. And many people who sit around and have debates on theology and the doctrines of men fall profoundly short of the expression of the church. And so they oppress people with their ideologies and their knowledge and their theology. And yet they miss, they miss the church. <laughs> so let's be the church. But before we can do that, let's read the book of Psalms. But before we read the Psalm, the book of Psalms, we have to back up for a moment. There's history here. I only got a couple minutes. There's history here. We're reading these songs. And these songs picture those people. Okay, picture these people who are in Turkey. Picture these people who are in Mesopotamia. At the time, it was ancient Babylon. Picture these people. Picture them. Picture these people who are in Jerusalem, in Israel, or who are in those cities that we know in the that Middle Eastern Mediterranean region. Just, just picture it for a moment. These people don't speak English. <laughs> and these people are now scattered all over the, the, the region. And they're scattered all over the region because of all the stuff that we read. Remember all this that we've been reading about this nation that God was establishing of people that he's chosen, who would be a nation of priests, and this nation of priests going from Egypt, an African nation, all the way now to Israel or Canaan that became the nation of Israel because Israel was the name of the father of the 12 sons who became 12 tribes that became a nation. And these people now have had encounters with God from Jeru sorry, from, from Egypt to Jerusalem, from Egypt to Jerusalem, they have encountered God at Mount Sinai. They've encountered God all the way from Mount Sinai to the Mount of Bashan. And there, there was a king of Bashan and a king of Og who did not give them permission to go through the valley. And so because they didn't have permission to go to the valley, to go to the land that was promised to them, they ended up, we read all this, y'all fam, that this nation of uh, led by the king of Bashan, led by the king of Og, this is the mountain of Bashan. This is, this is what he's speaking about. 
And so now we see all of this and we're, we're reading, we're reading what we're reading in Psalm and Psalm is just pulling back all the stuff that we've been reading about all through um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. Fam, we've been reading all of this. We know the history. These people became a nation, but then the nation didn't serve under the rule and the authority of God. God made them a nation and he called them his people. He had a covenant that he established with them. Notice the covenant was not for anybody else but them. Let's stop making the covenant for ourselves. Stop reading the Ten Commandments as if it was written to you. It wasn't. We're reading the story of what had transpired with the ancient Israelites. And now they find themselves scattered. Because even though they established this nation, this nation did not obey the covenant and the contract that they made with God. And because they acknowledged that the reason why they've been blessed up to this point and the reason why they are where they are and the reason why they've gone to where they've gone to is because of the grace of God. It was God that gave them victory. It was God that gained the victory over, over oppressors that were stronger than them, over nations that had more resource, more weapons, more power, more people than they did. And yet they were victorious. They didn't ascribe anything, anybody to that other than God. And now that they found themselves there in this land, they drew away from God. They drew away from his laws. They drew away from his ordinances. They drew away from the laws that you read through Leviticus, through uh, Deuteronomy, and through the book of Numbers. They, 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 they drew away from it. And because they drew away from it, they're now acknowledging that they're scattered. And these people are scattered now. They're not a nation anymore because remember, all the kings didn't obey. The kings were more evil. If you read about the kings in the book of Kings, and not to, I'm just recapping here, you would read about how not to rule, what it looks like not to rule under God. And so these kings, because they didn't rule under God and rule under his authority, and because they looked like the rest of the world, and there was nothing distinct about them. He said, you are a holy nation. Holy means separate, distinct, not perfect. It's funny how we equate holiness to perfection. Righteousness. God is holy. He's perfect. But it's, he said, you are a holy nation, separate, different, distinct. And yet they look like all the other nations. And in the end, Babylon takes over. Assyria takes over, Syria takes over, Persia takes over, splits up the nation, and now the nation is in exile, scattered all across Mesopotamia, Persia, North Africa, the Ara Arabian areas, giving you a picture here. And all they have now are songs that they're singing. And so when these authors are writing these songs, David wrote these songs a long time ago. David wrote these psalms way before when he became king. Some of them he wrote when he was going through his battles and his struggles. But now the children of Israel are singing these songs, even in the midst of their demise, captivity, brokenness. And even though they're down, they know they're not out. 
Even though they know they're down, they know they're not out. This is written by Hebrew authors who are, who is now, and it's now being sung by Hebrew people who are spread all around the known world with no land, no nation, under captivity. And we read, they sing these songs of praise and worship. They cry out to God and they're singing these songs, the glory to God in Israel. When he says in Psalm 68, verse 15, a mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan. A mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. I'm getting to my point. I'm getting there. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. Then in Psalm 69, it's an urgent plea for trouble. And I love how the psalmist says in verse 13, but as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, in the acceptable time, O God, in the multitude of your mercy, hear me in the truth of your salvation. Imagine you're the children of Israel spread out all across the world. You've got no legal rights. You're, you're basically an illegal immigrant everywhere you are. You have no rights at all. And yet they're singing this song. But as for me, my prayer is to you. Oh God, in the acceptable time, oh God, in the multitude of your mercy, hear me in the truth of your salvation. They know they're down, but they know they're not out. I love in Psalm 69, just pointing it out, the poetic justice of God, (laughs) the poetic rendition of justice and righteousness. In verse 21, it says, they gave me gall for my food and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Jesus Christ was on that cross, fully manifesting the brokenness that came from the sins, not only of the children of Israel, but for the, for the sins of the world. And because of the sins of the world, Jesus drank vinegar on the cross, gave him vinegar to drink as a consequence, not of his sin, but of the sins of the world. Jesus said, I thirst, and there he is on the cross. And rather than giving him water, they gave him vinegar. And it makes sense in Psalm 70 when he says, make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and confounded who seek my life. Again, this is David remembering what God has done, but that God is not done. I'm going to give you just a quick word of encouragement. The way that you get through knowing that God is not done with you is to remember what God has done with you. Yes, God is not done with you, but don't forget that God has done a lot with you. Forget not all his benefits. Forget not all his benefits. Forget not what God has done 
And this is for somebody who needs to hear this today, because as I'm reading this from reading this children of Israel and reading this text, this text is written to a people who are down, but you read about a people who know they're not out. Some of you may be down today, but you're not out, not in Jesus. You might be down, but you are not out. You might be going through it, but you are not out because God isn't done with you yet. He ain't done and he wasn't done with them. And they had a confidence to know that they're going through it, but God's not done. They're going through, it, but God's not out. If there's anything that I truly love about the reading that we had today, because I'm just working this out. And I know you guys are, I'm sorry if you guys have to endure my rants, because this is just full-blown rant. I got nothing. I never have anything prepared, really. I'm just here just to share some thoughts with you. But there's one thing that I want you to work out. It's verse 35. Finally got to my point. It's verse 35 in Psalm 68. That's the one that really popped out to me. It says, oh God, you are more awesome than your holy places. That whole chapter, we're reading about the awesomeness of God, the resourcefulness of God, the beauty of God, the power of God, what comes out of the presence of God. And we read all of that and we see all the stuff that God is doing and we see all the stuff that God has done. And we see all the stuff that God has manifested. But then they make this declaration because in verse 19 it says, blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. These are people who are down and out. And yet he's saying, blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. But then he says in verse 20, our God is the God of salvation. These people are down and out. Sorry, these people are down, but they know they're not out. I, there's still salvation even in the midst of all of this. There's still breakthrough even in the midst of all of this. Verse 22, I'll bring back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea. Oh, I'm going to get you out. This is They're talking about what God has done. To know that God is not done. I can look at what God has done. And then, word of encouragement. Is this God who is all powerful, this God who is mighty, this God who has this presence, this God who showers us with these blessings, this God who does it, this God is not confined to a location. This God moves with his people. And so he says, oh God, you are more awesome than your holy places because God does not fit in holy places. He's greater than all the holy places they knew about. He's greater than all that. He goes way beyond that. This God of Israel who gives strength and power to his people is more awesome than any holy place that you can build, any structure, any institution that you can build. This God who delivers and who sets people free, he's with you. He's not at your church. He's with you. He's not floating around somewhere in the sky. He's with you. 
I'll go even further. He's in you. John 1. Christ in us. Not Christ above us. Not Christ around us. Not Christ with us. Christ in us. Our hope of glory. Father, I thank you. Lord, as we've come here today, Lord, I thank you that you've blessed us, Lord, with insight and understanding, Lord, reminding us that even though we're down, we're not out. Lord, you're reminding us today as well that, Lord, even though we're going through it, sometimes we'll know that you're not done yet by revealing to us what you have already done to give us encouragement for what you will continue to do. So, Father, I pray today that we're reminded Lord, as great and as awesome as you are, you're not transfixed on a location. But, your Lord, you live within your people, among your people, above your people, in your people, through your people. And so, Father, I ask that you would bless us today. Lord, to be reminded of this as the children of Israel, Lord, were going through it. They knew they were down. But they also knew that they weren't out. So remind us, for each and every one of us today that are down. Lord, to be reminded that we're not out. <laughs> Lord, that you are just beginning. And that if you begin it, you will complete it. We say that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, fam. Love you. Love you all. Um, I'll see y'all tomorrow. I will see you guys tomorrow. Thank you. I, I believe there were like six patrons who signed up yesterday. Thank you so much, y'all. I am encouraged by that. If this, if anything we do here has been a blessing to you anyway, and you want to help support so that we can continue to expand this thing moving forward, prayerfully consider becoming a patron. Prayerfully consider becoming a patron. If you want to know more about it, just go to Opus, O-P-U-S-F-R-E-R-E, Opus Frere, opusfrere.com. Come and you can learn how to support, how to become a patron. Man, Chuck, thank you so much, man. Truly appreciate you. I'm going to start shouting y'all out um, just because I, I appreciate you guys so much for supporting what we do. And yes, I will post this right away. So I'm going to post this right away on Patreon, but this will also be available on the Read and Rant podcast. It may be a month or two from now because we're on a schedule and I have other episodes that are still getting fed in, but, um, but you will also get this. Maybe I believe this will probably come out in March. But this episode will still be available for you guys. And if you guys are on Patreon, I love y'all. I love being able to share with you guys, you know, let you guys see some behind the scenes stuff, you know, get input from you guys. Whenever I'm trying new things, I, I just love that you guys are part of what we're doing. Um, the podcast link is also available on that page. So if you click the link in my profile or you click the link uh, in the bio, you should be able to catch the, the um, all, all the info there. So You'll catch the info to Patreon, also to the podcast. The podcast is free, so click it, okay? And guys, I, I'm going to hit hit up my Patreon fam. Uh, my wife and I have a meeting tonight, and so I won't be able to do Bible study tonight with you all, but I will be rescheduling the Bible study because um, we're going to do a Bible study on the church, and then we're going to go back and do some more work on Revelation, and then we're going to go back and do some more on the church. I think it's a good timing to do a Bible study on the church. Like, what is the church? Because a lot of what we do in the church isn't really the church. And so anyway, I'm not going to get into that rant. Uh, we'll do more teaching there than anything else. So 
I'll see you guys tomorrow. We're back, same time, and we'll keep engaging together. Love you guys. Truly, truly love y'all. And I'm truly encouraged by each and every one of you. God bless you guys. Peace out.